So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hello, people. Oops. Hello, people. Can you hear me okay? Because this doesn't sound very loud to me. I can hear you pretty well. Okay, I haven't turned up. I can turn up your headset. Yeah, why don't you do that a little bit? Okay, how's that? Yeah, it's a little bit better. Turn up more if you'd like. Oh, that's good. Oh, but somehow you don't see me like I do. Somehow you're still here. Yeah, I am. You're the God who stays. I love this song. You're the God who stays. Yeah, I do. You're the one who runs in my direction. When the whole world walks away, you're the God who stands. With wide open arms. And you tell me nothing I have ever done. Gotta watch the video of this song, it's so good. I used to hide every time I thought I let you down. Always thought I had to earn my way. But I'm learning you don't work that way. Cause somehow you don't see me like I do. Somehow you're still here. You're the God who stays. You're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away You're the God who stands With wide open arms And you tell me nothing I have ever done Could separate my heart from the God who stands My shame can't separate my totally love that you know why because it's true you know there is um a verse there's actually a lot of verses but um but one of the most popular verses is the one that talks about in hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6 it says that god will never leave us or forsake us and um, I don't know about you, but, you know, I think, I think that sometimes people, um, kind of have to learn that lesson on their own, you know, from, uh, from the fact that God is, um, allows us to be put in situations where we have to choose, right? We have to choose to walk in faith and believe what he said in the word of God, or we have to choose to, 
ignore it. And what's so cool about Matthew West's song there is that, you know, he's depicting somebody who is an addict who, uh, who fell, you know, back into alcoholism and doing drugs and, and basically, you know, how ultimately a lot of people will leave you when you do that, but God ultimately can make you clean in more ways than one, right? I mean, uh, it is an amazing truth. And I don't know about you, um, but it's something that I hold on to all the time because, you know, Jesus never entrusted himself to anybody. He only entrusted himself to the Father because the Bible says he knew what was in the heart of man, right? Um, and, you know, and I can tell you, I was, I was listening to an interview earlier today uh, that Amy Grant did with, um, 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 what's his name? That guy. <laughs> I forgot the name of the guy. Some comic guy, though. Anyway, he did the, she did this interview. Uh, it was called, called Dinner Conversations. You can look it up on YouTube. Comic guy like, like Marvel Comics or DC or comic no, Mark, like comedian? No, it was Mark, Lower, Mark, Mark Lowry. Okay. Him and some other guy do have this YouTube show called uh, Dinner Conversations. And mm. anyway, about a year ago, they interviewed Amy Grant about the loss of her parents. And, you know, both of her parents actually had dementia. And, um, anyway, it talked to, you know, they, they were talking to her about that. And, and then one of the things that she talked about was, um, how when somebody dies or somebody goes away in your life, it changes everybody's life. It's not just one person. Right. Um, and you know, it's part of life, man. Part of life is death, which really sucks, you know? Um, so anyway, I wanted to share a couple of things and then Bearface here, he's been all day super excited about teaching you on this show, basically threw me off it, you know, basically said, I'm taking up 50 minutes of this show. So you only got 10 minutes, woman. So, uh, <laughs> the power. I did not say that. No, not quite. We're closing up. Anyway, That's how many... what it sounded like to you, I guess. <laughs> how many of you guys saw last night's show with Carl and Lee on Tyker? Ooh, was... I did. I did. Wasn't that a great show? And me and Randall got to spend another hour with them after the show talking and stuff. So if you guys missed that program, go to our archives there on YouTube um, and check it out. Um, you know what? I have not met a more genuine couple in Christ uh, than those two. I mean, pretty much what you see is what you get with them. Um, and they're, they are, um, well, you saw them. I mean, if you watched the show, you saw them. If you didn't see the show, go watch it. You'll enjoy it, um, especially because you'll see how humble Leanne is and Carl is. <laughs> so, um, what else was I going to tell you? Oh, I got to tell you guys something cool too. Something, um, something cool that happened. So you guys know I take care of my dad, right? And my dad is, uh, he has dementia and, um, and, oh, thank you, godly reverend. Uh, my dad has dementia and he also, you know, has Parkinson's. He's in an assisted living facility. Um, and I've only been able to see him by video for the last six weeks, really, almost two months, it's going on two months, uh, since this whole quarantine thing started. Um, anyway, out of the blue, um, I get this text message from a first cousin that I don't know. And, um, so she texts me and she's like, my dad is your dad's brother. And he wants to know if your dad's still alive. And I'm like, oh my gosh, should I call her up? She lives in California, of all places. Gee, who knew? I lived there for like my, most of my life. I had no idea I had relatives there. So anyway, I call her up, I talk to her. And she's like, hey, I want to let you know that my dad, who's almost 88, would like to connect with your dad if he's still around. He's been wondering, you know, where your dad is. So do you mind if I have him call you? And I'm like... No, go ahead. Have, have him call me. Anyway, long story short, I ended up calling him. So I called him today, my very first time uh, calling calling my dad, uh, my, my uncle. This is my uncle. I'm going to show you guys a picture because he's so cute. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to find it. Because um, those of you who have seen a picture of my dad, you when you see a picture of my uncle, you'll be like, oh my gosh, these guys are like totally brothers. Uh, so yeah, she sent me a picture of my uncle. And 
This is what he looks like. <laughs> That's my uncle. Is, it, is he the cutest old geezer or what? I mean, he totally looks like my dad. Um, he's, he's four years younger than my dad. And, uh, anyway, uh, his name is, um, what is his name? It's, 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 uh, Lenuel. Lenuel. It's, it's a, it's an interesting name. It's, well, anyway. It's kind of like King Lemuel of the, of the scriptures of yeah. Proverbs. Uh. Anyway, so long story short, um, I talked to him today. And I called him Leo, which he said nobody calls him that. Even his mom doesn't call him that. Um, he goes by Lee. Um, and so I actually was able to get my uncle, who I literally just met, on the phone with my dad, who miraculously answered the phone. I got to do a three-way call with the two of them. And it was funnier than hell. I mean, if you if you saw if you heard this conversation between my dad and his brother, they have not talking since like he said since like Japan, which means they were in their twenties when they talked last. And now now my dad's ninety one, you know. So like seventy years has gone by since my dad and uncle got to talk. Is that insane or what? Randall, what did you think of the conversation? Because you sat in on it. You actually laughed. <laughs> well, it was humorous. It wasn't It wasn't quite the blind leading the blind. Not really the deaf leading the deaf either, but it was sort of. Uh, and I wish I had it recorded. Cause... Sort of like an easily confused leading the, not as easily confused, but. Yeah. It was, um, it's funny. It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but it was good. I mean, they enjoyed it. And, but yeah, you had to be there. Well, it was funny. They, like... they both cared about food. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it just, it was funny. And, and this guy, see, you guys got to understand, I don't know any of my dad's side of the family. He's got like 12 siblings or something like that. Most of them are dead, except this guy. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so that was kind of an interesting uh, highlight of my day. And um, I thought I'd share that because it was just funny. Also, um, I, I do want to share with you that my friend Joe died uh, two days ago uh, of brain cancer. And my friend Cheryl needs your prayers. Um, you know, my friend Cheryl is, is one of my closest friends. I've known her over 30 years. And... Um, you know, she's a strong woman of faith, but she just recently had her mom die and also her dog within the last couple of months. And so now her husband of 20 years has, has just passed into eternity. So please pray for her. Um, I have not talked to her. Um, I actually heard the news sadly through Facebook. I actually didn't, haven't talked to her yet and I can totally understand why. Um, uh, but those of you who, you know, have followed the show and, um, you know, I had Cheryl on here a couple of years ago for my 50th birthday, and um, I had the opportunity to meet Joe after all these years. I never got to see him, um, you know. So my heart is a little bit heavy because it sucks when somebody dies. That I mean, and, and you know what? I'm just going to say this, and then Randall's going to take over the show. Joe was a man who loved the Lord, and um, he was literally diagnosed with brain cancer stage four less than three months ago and they gave him two months to live and he lived one so i bring that up because there's a couple of reasons number one if you're a man and i am speaking specifically to men because you guys are thick-headed a lot of you are and that is look you need to get physicals done you need to go to the doctor and and have some good checkups every year, right? I mean, I don't trust doctors mostly, but whatever. Still, I think you need to get some basic checkups done. Um, I don't know if Joe had any symptoms or not. I don't know. But what I will say is that in the last couple of months, him and Cheryl got their wills done with us with Legal Shield, And the last conversation I had with Joe was that, um, you know, he, he called me up. He was really you know, upset. And he said, I want to make sure that Cheryl's taken care of. I need to get a trust done. Can we do that with Legal Shield? And I said, yes. 
and it was like within a couple of days he went in for surgery and um next thing you know he's diagnosed with stage four cancer next thing you know he's he's gone so don't hesitate <clears throat> in getting your will done if you have not got your will done get it done because this stuff happens all the time and when it hits you that personally and that close to you you know i mean joe was in my home less than two years ago actually it was about a year ago you know him and cheryl spent the weekend with us um you know and he wasn't old i think he was about 70. so he was not that old people i mean 70 is like the new 50 right so so if you don't have your will done, please get it done. I don't care if you get it done through me or not. It's more affordable to get it done through me. But if you have a lawyer you want to get done, go get it done. Make sure your health care directives are done. Um, you know, because this stuff happens. If you're over 18 and you're listening to this and you don't have your will done, get it done. Okay? Because, I mean, life and death happens and it sucks. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm happy for Joe. Don't get me wrong there but you know behind you know the, the will is for those left behind so um you know get that done uh, and then um the other thing is if you would like to donate to our show and help us out in any way we we appreciate that you can you can give over at biblenewsradio.com and uh click the give button all right so um so with that said, Bareface has this topic that he's just been dying to talk about. Well, Liberals and conservatives, are they the two sides of the same coin or what? So I'm interested in what Bareface well, has to say because, well, or do you want to say anything else? Well, just when I learned about Joe's passing last night, it just kind of knocked the wind out of me. Um, wasn't what I would want or prayed for, um, but I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, for to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. And, but, yeah. Sad situation. I mean, we're going to miss our brother in the Lord for a while. What's well, going to seem like a while, but afterward, when we're with him. And all the saints for eternity, it will have been just a short. Yep. So, uh, a short intermission. A temporary goodbye. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, and I will just say this, you know, believers grieve with hope. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we don't grieve as those, those who without, hope. have no hope. Yeah. You know, and I know Cheryl has that hope, but man, she's gone through hell this year. You know, she had her mom die and then she had her dog die and, and, you know, now this. I mean, it's just, it's just you know, crazy. So, um, and you know, the other part is they're in Texas and it's difficult for me to get down there because of what's going on with our, you know, with the quarantine and, um, and my own father, you know, I, I feel I need, I have to stay close to my dad cause he's declining too. So it's like, you know, and like I asked Randall, I, or was talking to Randall, I said, I don't understand why I have no idea. I have no idea why God allows some people to live very long lives and some people just, you know, get snuffed out, you know, except for this. And I will say, um, I think God, you know, the Lord knows the best for us. You know, he knows, you know, that old adage, father knows best. Um, there's a purpose to be accomplished here, you know, um, and, I mean, that's all I can say is I don't understand it, you know, and to question God and and ask why, you know, he doesn't always answer that question. Talk to Job about that. Um, but yeah, your prayers are appreciated. So, all right, Bareface, um, go ahead and take over this show before your wife starts crying on the air again. All right. Because I feel like crying people. Mm, I do too, but... So, you know, in in recent years, and especially since the last presidential election nearly four years ago, 
There, well, there has always been this sort of cultural war. I mean, we can go back to uh, you know early twentieth century, really, um, and maybe even slightly before that, between you know left and right wing liberals and conservatives, kind of thing. But it seems uh, more lately a more pronounced division, and with um, hostilities on both sides both sides of the aisle, so to speak, you know, from both tips of the wing, um, about the other, sort of demonizing the other, you know, I uh, read as many things demonizing uh, President Trump as there are demonizing, you know, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, there is this um, hostility that happens between both political views. And not too long ago, I saw someone on Twitter when uh, Congress was debating uh, what became the CARES Act, I think they called it, you know, with the stimulus checks and all that. Uh, they wondered, you know, who would be the first to go cash those checks? Would it be the not my president, <laughs> you know, liberals, or would it be the uh, never communism, never socialism, you know, conservatives? You know, who would be the first to take the government money? And, you know, it would be hypocritical on both parts. And so, with this hostility, I thought it would be good to look at the commonality in both. You know, the, the shared parts. And you think, what? You know, one's as far from the other. You know, uh, the tip of the left wing is as far from the tip of the right wing. That, you know... Uh, they're not two sides of the same coin. They're in direct opposition to each other. But I'm actually going to look at a commonality between them. And maybe that will help us to give a little more grace as we look at other people. And since I'm going to be looking at Scripture eventually, I am going to go ahead and um, offer up this time in prayer now. Um, I do believe that the Bible is the only book that comes with its author, so it makes sense to approach him when approaching his word. Pray with me, will you? Father God, you are worthy of every honor, glory, power, and praise. Um, Lord, I'm going to be looking at history as well as your word, which is historical as well, well as spiritual. I pray that in this time, Lord, you would help each one of us to receive what you have for us in this time. Uh, while I'll be uh, going through my outline and sharing some thoughts, Lord, ultimately I want you to communicate what you have to say. This time is yours to use as you will uh, for our good and your glory. I ask this in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. All right then, well... Speaking of capitalism, um, capitalism, you know, the origins, I don't know, you know, the idea of owning something, you know, maybe selling it, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say as old as humanity itself, uh, not as old as the garden, that wasn't the case, but sometime after the fall of man, uh, people began to work with natural materials, make things, sell them, trade them um, uh, for profit. James talks about uh, a warning, you know, you who say to, that we're going to go and sow to such a city and we will buy and sell there and make a profit so you don't know what your life's going to be. You, know, you don't even know if you have it tomorrow, whether you ought to say it, the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. So the, uh, the sense of private ownership and, you know, you know, selling, buying and selling things, that goes back quite a long way. Um, some people want to point to Native Americans as, and use them as an example of sort of, you know, um, pre-Columbian hippie communal living, but there were wars among those different tribes. Why? Because uh, greed, you know, some saw that uh, you know, others had something they wanted or um had other tribes had things taken from them they saw, saw as belonging to themselves there was a sense of private ownership and uh buying and trading and selling that kind of thing 
Uh, some people want to look back and, well, anyway. But from a dictionary point of view, um, I forget what dictionary I looked up, but defines capitalism as an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. Well, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good definition. And we see that kind of um, system, uh, economic and political system, uh, flourishing outside of feudal societies. You know, if we go back to like uh, medieval Europe, which had the, the castles and the kings and the, you know, or there was the royal families, basically, and then all the serfs that worked for the government. Uh, but when people got outside of that, be they the merchants that traveled to other countries and traded in spices and things like that, um, there was a stronger sense of private ownership. Um, and those things were controlled by the merchants themselves rather than the government, even though they were loyal to some monarchy. Uh, but capitalism seeks to reward ingenuity and um, effort without externally forced limitations, um, in essence, uh, you know, that, um, that the individual should be able to prosper from their own efforts and not have limitations put upon them by some government that says, no, you can't, and you got to give this away and whatever not. So in its pure sense, in that definition of an economic and political system, uh, where trade and industry are controlled by private property uh, owners rather than by the state, in that sense, we, we see that. A uh, little bit of uh, U.S. history, because I'm you know, born citizen of the United States. I'm familiar with United States history. So I look back, I wasn't alive then, but to the 17th century, uh, the Plymouth Colony. Um, every good U.S. citizen knows about uh, the pilgrims and coming to North America and how they were supposed to go to the Virginia Colony, which wasn't like president, the present state of Virginia, but it was more like towards New York. They were supposed to go up like the Hudson River, where the, the Virginia Colony was, and they got blown off course on the way in, and they ended up in Massachusetts, what we would call Massachusetts today, and, <coughs> and set up a colony there. And when they got there, there was a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of Mutiny, I guess. Um, not all of them were Puritans. I think out of the, what was it, like 200 some people, there 41 of them were Puritans uh, looking for religious freedom, but a lot of them were um, basically, um, I guess you could call them merchants. They were investors that sent them over to the New World to do stuff and make stuff and bring stuff back from the New World and uh, make a profit. Many of them were indentured servants, etc. There was some... Uh, military people. Uh, anyway, when they ended up not where they're supposed to be, there was like uh, some were saying, especially indentured servants. Some of them were actually slaves. Says, "Hey, we're not on. We're not on government land. We didn't end up in the Virginia colony. So basically, any allegiances we had to investors or royalty are off, and we can do what we want now." You know, sort of anarchy was suggested. We're, hey, we're completely free of every encumbrance. We ought to be do. We ought to be able to do anything we want. And as things heated up, and they figured they needed something, you know, for everybody to work together, some sort of agreement. So they came up with a Mayflower Compact, and in that document they agreed you know to make all sorts of you know any agreements and uh packs and anything they made from there on would be quote as shall be though most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony and so that's what they did you know we're all in this together and so while communal farming uh did permit their survival for many years uh, later on, they instituted private ownership of land, private plots of land uh, for farming. And um, one of the colonists, William Bradford, wrote of that later change, uh, that switch to private farm plots. He wrote, quote, this has had very much, this 
this I can speak, I can even read, it says this had very good success, for it made all hands industrious, so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could use, and saved him a great deal of trouble, and gave far better con content. Uh, the women now went willingly into the field, and took their little ones with them to set corn, which before would allege weakness and, in, and inability, whom to have compelled would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. So before, when it was communal farming, uh, many of the women would say, oh, you know, we're too weak, we're not able, we can't go, whatever, and, you know, and... And others would shirk responsibility. It's like, oh, I can't go in the field today, blah, blah, blah. But now, but when it was set up to have private ownership of plots, lo and behold, <laughs> going willingly to the field, it's like, well, if you want to, if you want to eat, you're going to have to farm rather than, you know, all for the communal good. So it's not that it wasn't working before, but as he wrote, things were much more uh, productive. And he said, and it gave far better content. People were uh, happier uh, when they were much more content when they had private ownership of their productivity. And speaking of U.S. history, and you know, the entire tenor of the Declaration of Independence, as well as the United States Constitution, the Constitution of the United States of America, uh, the entire tenor of those documents are about... Um, limiting the powers of government and about um, and promoting individual liberty um, so all this to say that capitalism really is a reaction uh, to political conformity that it seeks to discourage slothfulness uh, and to prevent oppression by governments that's at the heart of capitalism we don't want people shirking responsibility you know by making them uh, personally responsible you know for their productivity and also to prevent oppression by governments that would limit personal productivity and and enjoying the fruits of one's labor now let's talk about socialism um, socialism Again, origins, you know, come. some would point to the native, pre-Columbian Native Americans as having this sort of communal society, but, you know, you read their own histories and stuff like that, not the written, but the oral histories and later written. Uh, there was private ownership of things, not necessarily land, but certainly animals and housing and all that sort of stuff. Uh, some might look back to the classical great Greek city-states and see maybe some forms of socialism. But socialism as identifiable socialism, where people called themselves socialists, whatever language it was in, uh, really didn't come about until the 19th century. And it was a, it was a response or reaction to the industrialism uh, that the uh, 19th century gave rise to. With... Um, um, beginning of steam power and things like that. Uh, early advocates of socialism, you can look to um, uh, Henri uh, de Saint-Simon and Charles Fourier, uh, Robert Owen, people like that. You can look them up later. Uh, but in essence, sort of a, a dictionary definition of socialism is a economic and political system that seeks to generate communal wealth regulated by a central government that it's not about um, not necessarily against private ownership but against private wealth that everything everybody does is for the good of the entire community um, socialism that nobody does anything for their own benefit and that's all regulated by a central government um, communism, well, why bring up communism? Because I look at it, communism as socialism 2.0, basically. Um, uh, when we look to the communists, also of the 19th century, 
the communists looked at socialism, uh, especially Karl Marx and uh, Frederick Engel, as they saw socialist movements, they seen the, looked at them as being utopian. And, you know, just sort of like pie in the sky, this, this idea that we can um, create some sort of society where um, everyone's just, you know, kumbaya, you know, and, and we're going to do everything for the good of the community. That's just not going to happen. And so um, they, communists, sought a, a government made up of, of the commoner. And, uh, you know, the, the proletariat, as Karl Marx talked about that. And in fact, I'm going to quote some from the Communist Manifesto, which was published by Karl Marx in uh, 1848. And the Communist Manifesto um, presents all the industrialized world uh, into uh, basically two classes, or two social groups, the bourgeois and the proletariat. Uh, the bourgeois being the the capitalist business owners, factory owners, and you know the the tycoons of the day, and the proletariat was the working class person. In fact, uh, Marx wrote, and this is an English translation. It was originally written in German. I'm not going to read the German because I don't read German. Uh, anyway, he wrote society as a whole is more and more splitting up into into two great hostile camps, into two great classes directly facing the other, bourgeois and proletariat. And the Communist Manifesto is not so much a promotion of communism, but it's a condemnation of capitalism. And again, Marx wrote, um, the discovery of America, the rounding of the Cape, that would be, you know, the, of Africa, I believe, uh, opened up fresh ground for rising for the rising bourgeois. The East Indian and Chinese markets, the colonization of America, trade with the colonies, the increase in the means of exchange and in commodities generally gave to commerce, to navigation, to industry, an impulse never known before and thereby to the revolutionary element in the tottering feudal society, a rapid development. He looked back and saw the feudal society with a, with a monarchy and all the serfs that worked for them. He saw that as evil too. But he saw that it was on its way out, but then industrialism with colonization of America and increased navigation, all that, and trading, he saw that as giving rise to that system again, that it was building up a wealthy class of people that would, uh, that were oppressing the poor, and that all the poor were working to support the rich. Um, another quote from the Communist Manifesto. Marx wrote, uh, Modern industry has converted the little workshop of the patriarchal master into the great factory of the industrial capitalist. Masses of laborers crowded into the factory are organized like soldiers. As privates of the industrial army, they are placed under the command of a perfect hierarchy of officers and sergeants. Not only are they slaves of the bourgeois class and of the bourgeois state, they are daily and hourly enslaved by the machine, by the overlooker, and above all, by the individual bourgeois manufacturer himself. The more openly this despotism proclaims gain to be its end and aim, the more petty, the more hateful, and the more embittering it is. So, again, not necessarily promoting communism as a solution, but a, a condemnation of capitalism. And he promoted the destruction of capitalism. Uh, two more quotes, and then I'll finish up with the Communist Manifesto. Uh, quote, the immediate aim of the communists is the same as all of the other proletarian parties, speaking of all other socialists. He says, formation of the pro proletariat into a class, overthrow of the bourgeois supremacy, conquest of political power by the proletariat. 
Uh, quote, in this sense, the theory of communism may be summed up in a single sentence, abolition of private property. So, consequently, socialism and communism are reactions to inequality. Uh, they seek to eliminate greed and oppression by the rich. So, both socialism and communism are reactions to the sinfulness of mankind. Um, capitalism seeks to get rid of, of slothfulness and oppression by government. Socialism, communism, look to get rid of greed and oppression by the wealthy. Well, the Bible criticizes both greed and slothfulness. Proverbs 8.22 we read that he that hastens to be rich has an evil eye and considers not that, prov that poverty shall come upon him. Uh, New Testament, 1 Timothy 6.10, you should be familiar with this, says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the Bible doesn't speak a well of greed, which socialism doesn't either. But the Bible doesn't uh, praise slothfulness either, which capitalism condemns. Uh, Proverbs 10.4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Uh, turn to the New Testament, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Um which, you know, going back to the Plymouth Colony, that was implemented and seemed to work well. And the Bible also condemns uh, oppression by governments and oppression by the rich. You know, socialism is all about you know, overthrowing oppression by the rich, and capitalism is about getting rid of oppression by governments. But the Bible talks about oppression of the rich in, in many places. Just picking out a couple, one Old Testament passage, Ezekiel 18.12, um, uh, the word of God condemning much of the sin going on in, in Israel. And he talks about these people who hath oppressed the poor and the needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to idols, hath committed abomination. Notice, that's just some of the things listed there. But oppressing the poor and the needy is considered an abomination. Uh, James 2.6, James writes to the believers, he says, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? You know, you're being just like them if you're oppressing the poor. So, oppressing, oppression by the rich, definitely not... A good thing. Uh, what about oppression by governments? Uh, Proverbs 28, 15, and 16, we read, As a roaring lion and a, and a raging bear, a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. The prince that wants understanding is also a great oppressor. And then in, we turn to the end book, Revelation, the the uh, the epitome of wicked governments, a government that is powered by Satan himself, uh, what are some characteristics of that government? Uh, Revelation thirteen seven, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. You know, that all-powerful government is seen as a evil thing, especially inspired by Satan. So, all earthly political systems are a response to sin, right? <laughs> They're there because they see the sinfulness of mankind and seek to circumvent it in some way. All earthly political systems, they're a response to sin. However, they cannot remedy sin. There's only one political system, if you will, that deals with sin, only one sort of government, and that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven deals with sin. Um, we look to the, um, we look in the Gospels. Uh, 
Matthew chapter 3, you know, John the Baptist comes on the scene. He says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, Yeshua himself, um, you may recall, you can read Matthew chapter 9, Luke, or, yeah, Luke chapter 5, Mark chapter 2, about this healing the paralytic where he uh, says, your, son, your sins are forgiven you, and the religious leaders start thinking like, who is this? You know, what kind of audacity is this that he, you know, he forgives sins, claims to forgive sins. Uh, no one can forgive sins but God alone. And Yeshua, Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Notice, he is the Son of Man, and um, he has power on earth to forgive sins. Not just in heaven. Uh, Paul writes of the law of God, even the law of God. He talks about it being a schoolmaster and showing showing us, showing to us our wicked ways. In Romans chapter eight, verses three and four, Paul, the apostle Paul, writes, "For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, that is, law uh, administered." <laughs> Among human people, it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of, righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's this human inability to live in a righteous way under any form of human government. Um, because it doesn't deal with sin. It seeks to circumvent sin, to walk around it, kind of push it aside or you know, deal with it in some way, but can't get rid of it. Uh, the kingdom of God is about uh, dealing with sin. And the kingdom of God, it's not just a philosophy or, or uh, an ideology like capitalism or socialism or communism or whateverism. It's an actual thing. It's an actual kingdom. First uh, Corinthians four twenty for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. It's not just um, a concept. It's it's a real thing, a powerful thing. Uh, Yeshua uh, on the night he was betrayed said, "For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until what the kingdom of God shall come." It's something actually coming, an actual rule and reign of the king. And it's an end to all other governments. Revelation eleven fifteen, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, instead of trying to get around sin or trying to discourage sin or come up with you know, some sort of government philosophy or ideology, um, you know, political and economic strategy that seeks uh, to react to sin and, and outdo it by coming up with some better way you know, in fear of what sinful people do, uh, the kingdom of God deals with the heart matter, deals with sin. So, how do you be part of this kingdom? How you do, you know? How can you benefit from that kingdom that actually deals with sin, rather than reacts to it? That uh, has a remedy for sin. For that, turn to the scripture again. Going to pull up. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and just begin in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in, in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming to the world. He was in the world, speaking of that light, the, the word of God that came into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. This is where I want to turn into, uh, call attention to. Verse 12, but as many as received him, received who? The light, the one who created all things. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who were the, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, it's not something hereditary. You don't become a child of God just because you're born in human flesh, you're born to a particular family. Nor of the will of the flesh. You're not you don't become a child of God just because you decide to be that, oh yeah, this is what I am now. I'm a socialist, I'm a capitalist, I'm a child of God. It's not something that you will just by your own decision. Nor the will of man is not something that can be conferred upon you by a pastor or a priest or a church or any other person. God, mother, God, father, being a child of God is not something that can, it's not the will of someone else that can be conferred upon you. But of God. Become children of God who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of God. Yeshua, Jesus, put it to Nicodemus in this way. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Unless you are born of the water, natural birth, and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so what is this to be born of the Spirit? Well, this is to be born of God. It's not a spirit like the spirit of a you know, a happy spirit or whatever. It's not, again, it's not a will of the flesh. It's not some uh, decision we make um, on our own. It's not something we declare uh, born of the Spirit, but born of the Holy Spirit, the person of 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 the godhead the divine person the holy spirit of god and i thought about looking in john chapter 14 where we can read a lot about the the ministry of the holy spirit the present holy spirit this is a spirit who was sent um uh as as the presence of god to to be with believers etc but I would encourage you to read that on your own. So, the commonality that liberals and conservatives, you know, um, capitalism and socialism, I guess I should have flipped that around to go with left and right, you know, socialism, capitalism, have in common is that they're, they're trying to deal with the sinfulness of humanity. It's a reaction to sinfulness. And while, while they each have their own system of trying to deal with sin, um, they um, they can't remedy sin. They can try to circumvent it and try to do something instead of, because this is sinful, we'll do something else, and reaction and opposition to it uh, doesn't deal with sin itself. Uh, there is only one political system one uh, government that deals with sin itself has a remedy for sin, and that is the kingdom of God. And Lori DuPont, how long ago was that? 51 minutes ago. Sorry, Lori, I missed. She was coming from Germany. So I'm not sure how long I last. I don't know. You're still there on Facebook. Um, and then uh, see the Barb and Sean were out there on YouTube. And missing plenty of uh, stuff going on over here on on Twitch. 
Uh, liberals don't recognize sin. It's literally baked into a liberal as freedom to sin. Says uh, Hagrol. Hagrold. I don't know how to pronounce that over on Twitch. Um, I don't know about that. I don't say rec don't recognize sin. I mean, they certainly Hagrold. Gotcha. Um, I wouldn't say that liberals don't I wouldn't say they wouldn't call it sin, recognize sin, but there's certainly a sense of evil. They would look at oppression by the rich as something that's bad. There's a sense of morality of what's bad and what's good. Uh, you know, liberals slash socialists would see oppression by, you know, rich is immoral, that greed is immoral. Um, you know, they may not call it sin in, in a biblical sense, but... Yeah, it's it's this the wickedness of humanity that it seeks to um, circumvent. They just don't want people to restrict them from sinning. <laughs> yeah, there's there's certainly a sense of that. Um, and and one could say that of of conservatives, especially if you get into um, uh, you know libertarians. You know that well it would. Say you know, and you could put libertarians on the side of conservatism. Uh, that you know, I don't want the government telling me what to do. You know, uh, what I do in the privacy of my you know own home or my own world is is up to me. There should be no government telling me what I should do. Uh, you know, how I worship. You know, what I drink, smoke, or chew. Uh, there's a sense of that. Uh, libertarians are conservatives with no convictions. <laughs> <laughs> interesting point uh, interesting viewpoint I should say um, uh, yeah well, where I'm going with all this is you know whether rather than and yeah I know and I can hear some people saying well you left out the whole part that communism is godly, godless and uh you know hostile toward to religion in general and to christianity in particular yeah there's that's that's by the way am i a calvinist no i wouldn't say so not in the not in the truest sense of uh like tulip um because that passage in john is emphasized by john calvin um yeah i you know i've heard it this way you know the and this is just you know metaphorically speaking that above you know the pearly gates you know above the entrance to heaven it says it says you know all who will enter come and you get inside and on the back side of that is welcome all who were chosen from you know eternity um the bible speaks both of free will and predestination um, equally. You know, Romans 8 talks about being predestined. Ephesians, uh, Paul writes about being um, chosen before the foundation of the world. And, um, and Peter talks about God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And we see um, uh language is well in the old testament that it call to all people um and not just generally selected uh, and generally selected and general people not specifically selected is what i meant to say so which of the pillars of tulip do you disagree with i'm trying to remember what they all stand for what uh, was it uh total depravity unconditional or unregenerate. I yeah. I don't. It's been so long. I don't. Um, election. Unconditional election. <laughs> See, I I don't even remember what they are. So I really can't say what I disagree with. Um. Um. There. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um. But there are. You know. Uh, Many of the reformers, the reformers in the sense of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
many of modern day uh, uh, reformers, Calvinists, also tend to be uh, hold replacement theology um, that would uh, say that the the church is the elect and has replaced Israel, and and I don't see uh, I don't see that in Scripture. Not supersessionism. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that there is a covenant relationship uh, with uh, the people of Israel. Not because, you know, they're not... Pathology is just Nazis in disguise. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that. You know, uh, the Jews aren't chosen... Because they're special, they're special because they're chosen. And God says as much that for no particular reason, just because he wanted to. He decided to chose his people, not because they're any better than anybody else, because that hey, I'm gonna work with you, you know, the the line which the Messiah would come. And there are in fact the New Testament, the New Covenant, is a covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, uh, those two kingdoms. It's not a covenant with Gentiles. Gentiles are grafted in um to that covenant, Gentiles are recipients, um, are beneficiaries of that covenant, but it's still a covenant with um, Jews, etc. Um, yeah, I have to go back and study TULIP and <laughs> what they stand for. But um, ultimately, yes, I do believe that, that God is, is sovereign and none of his purposes can be withheld from him. I haven't heard that Calvinists tend to be replacing theology more. Okay. Well, that's good. I just maybe it's it's just the other way around. The the, the replacement theology people I know, um, all of them are Calvinists, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're all Calvinists. That so I understand that. That's I'm not going to do a false, um, any sort of false false syllogism there. Um, yeah, that that uh, you know replacement. Replacement theologians are Calvinists, therefore Calvinists are all Calvinists are replacement theologians. No, that's false syllogism. I'm not going to go that route. Um, I could believe in replacement thought, but I don't think he's a Calvinist. Okay, I just need to get out more. See, I don't can't even remember what TULIP stands for. Um, uh, I believe that. Um, yeah. God is God, I'm not, and as far as the heavens are above the earth, so his ways are above ours, his thoughts above our thoughts, and, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out the best I can, I do know that, uh, that God has given us eternal life, this life is in his son, that who has the son has life, he who does not have the son does not have life. And the things that are written in the scriptures, and quoting there from First John, you know, written to us that, that we may know that we have eternal life, those of us who have placed our faith in Messiah, uh, in Jesus. Jerkohos believe in replacement theology. No, uh, she does not. My beautiful bride does not. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at... Uh, other platforms, see if I'm not missing out. Uh, Ivinson, I thought Calvinists and and Arminius were on opposite ends, but the oh, case comes along and says they're the same. Or the who comes along? The O. Oses, okay. John says all millennium is present, and Sean also says I prefer roses to tulips. <laughs> um, Ivanson also says Democrats and Republicans are both owned by APAC. Yeah, I kind of kind of side with as far as you know. Yeah, Democrats and Republicans kind of side with Mark Levine. He says not a dime's worth of difference. Or was that lower Larry Elder? I don't remember whose book. Anyway. Uh, um, 
kind of quiet on Facebook. I guess Lori's no longer hanging with us from Germany. Well, it's it's after the top of the hour. I should wrap this thing up. But uh, thanks all for participating in the discussion. Hope you got some value out of there. Once saved, always saves, Ivanson says. And I I would agree with that because it's uh, it's in his power. If we couldn't if if we couldn't save ourselves if there's nothing we could do uh to earn god's favor god's grace you know by grace we have been saved then what would we do that would undo that grace you know if we couldn't secure it for ourselves if it's the unmerited favor of god the eternal life is the free gift of the current free gift of of god then then how do you unearn the gift? Anyway, I think we certainly will be judged, you know, for what we do with the, the eternal life we've been given and uh, held responsible for that. But, um, yeah, that I do believe once saved, always saved is because what God has done in Christ that... Yeah, again, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that no one should boast. Um, it's the free gift of God. Anyway, with that, I need to go ahead and uh, wind this all up here. So, I will say, as your sweet and lovable host usually says, but it's going to be me this time, to remember, uh, be bold, that's it, stand up, and go with God because he loves you and that's all the reason you need to be bold and to stand up and to go with god it's because he loves you uh good night god bless <laughs>